Hey, this is Joseph Massonary. I'm the pastor at Cornerstone, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope this inspires you. I hope this helps you build your faith. I hope in some way that God will challenge you with a new perspective as you listen. Enjoy the message. Well, this morning, we are continuing in our series called Dynamite, and if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you would know we're, we're kind of talking about this idea, <clears throat> understanding the power of the tongue. Good stuff. Are you ready to be in church, 11? It, you're looking sharp. You're looking good. Do you have a Bible? Do you have a smartphone? If you have either one of those, would you open them both, turn on your Bible or... <laughs> Or uh, open, uh, turn on your phone, we should say, or turn on your Bible to Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 is where we're going to begin today. It is good to be in God's house, and uh, can we welcome anyone who might be home? We know there's been some, some sickness and some things going on with people. Can we welcome anyone who might be streaming in with us today? So we'll say hello to all of you that, that might be on your phone or on, uh, on your living room couch or home with kiddos. We know that's been kind of making its way through our, some of our younger classes, a little stomach bug going on. So we want to welcome those that might be streaming. But uh, it is good to be in God's house. I see some cuties in the house. How many of you, is there anywhere else you'd rather be at 1130 on a Sunday? Come on now, right? Second service, you guys have had your coffee and your frappuccinos and your mocha lattes. So you got you to gotta, you gotta preach me. You got to... You gotta, there you go. Shout me down, please. Shout me down, please. You, you have permission, right? I love that about our second service. We're ready to go at the 11 o'clock. Well, is there anybody here? Kind of a quick show of hands. I'm one of those, those crazy ones that was born and raised in Las Vegas. Is there any born and raised folks? Can I see your hands, please? Born and raised in the house. There are, there are some of us, right? We are born and raised. Man, we could, we could say the Golden Knights stole their slogan from us. Right? We were Vegas born before they were. I'm teasing. Go Knights, go. Right? We can officially say that in church. That's okay. We can all get behind that. But growing up here in Las Vegas, there was always this excitement that I had as a kid when we would see these massive new hotels begin to take shape. How many of you, maybe you, you, you didn't live in Vegas before you moved here and you would travel and you would be like, man, this city puts up buildings like quicker than anyone else. Anybody feel that way, right? I remember as a kid, uh, we used to have church. We, we started this church in my grandmother's living room, and then we outgrew that, and then we went to this place called the Hacienda Hotel, and we had church at a hotel. We were ahead of our time back then, right? We had church in a hotel, which is now, um, it's, it's the same location, believe it or not, where the Mandalay Bay is, right? And so that is where, does anybody go back to the, any throwback people in the house? Anybody remember those Hacienda days? Raise your hand, some Hacienda, where's my Hacienda people at? There's some of us, right? Yeah, there's some of us, there's some Hacienda folks, well, I remember being a kid, and when we would drive down Sunset, we, we got to watch this crazy-looking hotel take shape, and it seemed like it took forever to build it. It was called the Luxor, and we got to see that pyramid take shape and how, like, it just was wild watching it go up. It didn't look like anything else, and, and I remember they had some construction issues and they had some, some, some time that it took, and it was just, it was an interesting hotel, and watching it come together, each and every Sunday, we could see the progress that was made. 
But there was something even more exciting to me as a kid than watching these things take shape and be built, and that was the moment when it was time to blow something up. Does anybody remember that? Like Vegas, we used to do these things, and I think we, we invented the word or perfected the word called implosions. I remember seeing the, the Dunes Hotel. I remember seeing the, um, what was the one that was, Marty was in first service, the Landmark, that one. I remember seeing like all these different hotels go down in a great ball of dust and smoke when in Las Vegas, like, is, is it fair to say we are the only place that could turn blowing up buildings into a party, right? It was like the press would show up, hundreds, thousands of people would show up, we'd watch these things go down, only in Vegas would massive crowds, and we, we saw locations like the dunes go down and they would erect the Bellagio, Right, just right there, uh, right now, there's the old Stardust location where that new resort world stands. I remember, I don't remember which sibling it was. I don't believe it was me. But one of my siblings, one of my brothers or my sister asked my dad one time to church. We were heading to church and they were getting ready to blow up the Hacienda Hotel to make way for the Mandalay Bay. And one of them said, Dad, why are they blowing, they're blowing up our church, right? And we really thought that as kids because that was where we came to meet with God. Well, these implosions were fun, and, and, and I just remember watching them and seeing them uh, happen on TV, and they would get the attention, really, of the world. We would turn it into a party, but when we talk about this idea of implosions, I want to make this personal for each of us today. This message is a, a tough one because it applies to me. I know it applies to you. This isn't one of those messages where you're like, hey, you need to work on this, right? A lot of times we do that when we go to church, like, who's that one for? I think that was for you. No, this one's for me. And I gotta tell you, we have implosions that we see happen in our own lives from time to time. Implosions that have happened in relationships, implosions that happen in friendships, implosions that happen in your workplace, implosions that happen when you, you, you posted something, you put something on Facebook, you, you text something, you said something at work that it just came out implosions that happen in careers, in marriages, even in our own families. And we see from Scripture um, how often the importance of our words is mentioned. But usually our mouths act as a fuse to begin that implosion. Usually the, the, the mouth is that starting point, that fuse that sets that implosion into motion. It, it sets loose that destructive power, and in just minutes, actually not even minutes, in just seconds really, right? In just seconds, you can destroy something that took years and years and years to trust, to, 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 to build. You can destroy trust that took years and years to build. We've been talking about this idea of dynamite. We spent week one talking about how it was created, who created it, Right? He, he, he went and he, he created the Nobel Peace Prize, possibly because I think he saw the destructive power of his creation, of his invention called dynamite. Words have the power to create, build up, speak life, but they also have the power to tear down. This morning, the, the common theme we're going we're gonna to talk about today is that our words reveal something about us. In fact, our words reveal a whole lot about us. If you have your Bible, would you open them up? Matthew chapter 12, verse 22. And we're going to look at 
this story. And in this context right now, Jesus is in a situation where he is doing his thing, right? He is performing miracles. He is doing things. He is working with the Holy Spirit. People are seeing signs and wonders, and they're experiencing the Messiah. They're experiencing his power. And here we go. We're going to jump into a conversation between Jesus and some of our favorite people in all of Scripture, the Pharisees. You ready for it this morning? Verse 22, can we start off? We're going to start off with a bang because uh, Jesus comes across someone who is demon-possessed. Turn someone and say, that's scary stuff, right? That is scary stuff. And some of us, like we read these stories and, and um, you know, a lot of times we think that's something for yesterday. That's something that doesn't apply to us. And until you have those spiritual moments where you see the enemy taking shape, taking hold of people, my goodness. So look at verse 22. Then a demon-possessed man who was blind and couldn't speak, he was brought to Jesus. Look at that. How many of us sometimes, you know, sometimes my first instinct when I see someone that I think something is going on, right, I love that it says someone cared enough to bring him to Jesus, right? I remember years ago when I came on staff, how many of us remember and we love Pastor O.T. Ortiz? Anybody remember O.T.? Absolutely, right? I remember one time we, we came in and we were walking in and somebody appeared on stage and she started talking here. And we thought she was speaking Spanish, and just we thought she got out of maybe somewhere. <laughs> we don't know where she came from. She just arrived, and, and I pulled out OT, and I said, OT, you speak Spanish. You need to, what is she saying up here? And she's roaming around, and OT goes, she's not speaking Spanish. And I'm like, oh, he didn't know what. We couldn't figure it out. So we ended up, so, so the wonderful men and women of Metro arrive. And I remember thinking, like, you know, these, these spiritual things aren't always... Like, you ever go where you're like, I just haven't, God, when, when am I going to see something like that? Like, it might be once in a lifetime where you see, like, somebody possessed by something. And I remember this, this woman, Metro came, and they, they ended up putting handcuffs on her, and they took her outside, and all these different things, and we had locked the doors to our school. And so O.T. and I were standing outside, and all of a sudden, these policemen were just asking us questions. And how many of you know you, you love Pastor O.T., right? And we're just sitting there, and finally... She looks, at, she looks right at OT. She looked at him. Thank God she didn't look at me. I probably would have melted like Swiss cheese on a hot day at that time spiritually, right? I was young. She looked at OT, and she has handcuffs behind her back, and she goes, no earthly chains will bind me. And she jumped out of her handcuffs, and she ran down the street. I kid you not. Like it was the, and the Metro cops looked at each other. They ran after her. They tackled her in the parking lot. It was amazing. It was amazing, Right? True story, right, Papa G? And we, we talk about these things like, God, we don't see these things. And I remember like when she said this to OT, she looked out, no earthly chains will bind me. And she just jumped out, right? And we can say, you know, we can make comments like, oh, the cuffs were too big and this and that. Well, I know a few amazing Metro police officers. They don't ever make the mistake of the cuffs being too big, right? They ended up getting some bracelets and some different things. It was wild. So Jesus is dealing with this demon-possessed person. Look at verse 22. He's dealing with this demon-possessed person. And, and in my instinct, when I saw that woman, I was like running away and running home, right? But look at what it says. Somebody, they, they, he was blind, he couldn't speak, and he was brought to Jesus. Somebody cared enough to bring him to Jesus. Look at what Jesus does in verse 22. He healed the man 
so that he could both speak and see. The crowd was amazed. How many of you would be amazed, right? This is an amazing thing. This is a sign and a wonder. They said to themselves, could it, they said to each other, they asked, could it be that Jesus is the son of David? Could it be that Jesus is the Messiah? Jesus healed this man, and, and, and they had every right to be amazed, and he healed his eyes, but I think it's interesting. He also healed his lips. He healed his mouth. And we're going to look at the response. I want to take a moment, and we're going to keep reading through this. We're going to study this, this scripture today, and look at the response of these Pharisees. Right? I don't know about you, but if we, if, if we see someone radically healed, radically come to Christ, what would our first instinct be? Probably like when we see people accept Christ on a Sunday, right? We, we, we applaud and we thank God and we, we get excited, right? I think it's interesting the response of these Pharisees is far different than what it should be. Let's look at their response. Are you ready? Look at verse 24 if you would with me. But when the Pharisees heard about this, when they heard about the miracle, they said, no wonder he can cast out demons. He gets his power from Satan, the prince of demons. It's, it's like they, they despise Jesus so much that all their education just went out the door. They despise him so much that they, their argument doesn't even make sense anymore. They're not even like speaking the same language just because they don't like him. It's like all the things they practiced, all the things, none, nothing really mattered anymore. They just make one of the most knucklehead statements ever recorded in scripture. And, in, and instead of celebrating someone being healed, they begin to accuse, right? They, they, I think one of the greatest things we can do is get excited about life change. Amen? Get excited about coming, someone coming to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So they actually accuse Jesus of working with the enemy. They actually make this, this statement. They accuse him. They, they say Satan gives Jesus the power to drive out demons. Let's read verse 25. Jesus knew their thoughts. He replied, any kingdom divided by civil war is doomed. A town or family splintered by feuding, will fall apart. And if Satan is casting out Satan, look at, did we catch that real quick? If Satan is working against Satan, if Satan is casting out his own demons, if Satan is working against himself and fighting against himself, finish the rest of this, his own kingdom will not survive. Jesus' response perfectly displays their just foolish thinking. How can a kingdom divided stand on its own? He's, he's like, Satan can't build his kingdom and tear it down. Satan can't, right? He, he's not going to cast out himself from this person that he wants to control and take hold of. And, and Jesus is like, excuse me, baking powder, right? Excuse me, fellas. Excuse me, guys. You're, you're, you're not making any sense. Pharisees, you're, what you're speaking, it just it, it's, doesn't make any sense. Verse 28. Let's read what Jesus says, but if I am casting out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has arrived among you. Right then, I mean, look at what Jesus is actually really saying. He's saying the kingdom of God has arrived among you. How many times in Scripture in the New Testament does Jesus have to say, like, the Messiah has arrived? You're looking at him, right? The kingdom of God has arrived among you. Let's finish verse 29. For who is powerful enough to enter the house of a strong man and plunder his goods. Only someone even stronger, 
Someone who could tie him up and then plunder his house. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me, and anyone who isn't working with me is actually, Jesus says, working against me. This is not a logical argument at all. Jesus is accused of casting out demons by, with the power of the enemy himself. And Jesus points out that the enemy of our soul is much more clever than that. He's much, more, he's much smarter than that. The enemy isn't going to work against himself, but the alternative is too much for the Pharisees to handle. The alternative is that Jesus is empowered by the Holy Spirit he is the Messiah working on the behalf of God himself, demonstrating the power of God. Let's look at verse 31. This is where it gets kind of interesting, and we'll get into a, a couple of points today before we uh, get going for, for some lunch. Who's got some good lunch plans today? Anybody? We're good to go? All right. Verse 31. Look at what Jesus says. So I tell you, every sin and blasphemy can be forgiven except blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, which will never be forgiven. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven, either in this world or the world to come. I love that G Jesus is like, man, you can speak against me. You can speak against me and be forgiven, but people who speak against the Holy Spirit, this is kind of like a hot topic in Scripture, and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I do want to address it since it's there in verse 32. People who speak against the Holy Spirit, it's like cannot be forgiven. This principle to commit blasphemy, the Bible mentions, it's like this, this big deal. Have you been in church long enough for people to talk about like unpardonable sins? Right? It's, it, throughout decades, it's, it's like a, an issue that we love to kind of jump across, and there's been some labeled that are, and some that people will talk about how it's not. Well, number one, the first thing I want to talk about, we love to culturally talk about unforgivable sins. But before I even like kind of try to explain it away, I was, I was having a conversation with my dad this week, and we kind of just came to a conclusion, and it was this, to be very blunt about it, if you're worried whether or not you've committed an unforgivable sin, then that's a really good thing. It, it, basically, if you're worried you've committed a sin against the Holy Spirit that's unforgivable, that shows that you're living your life, a lifestyle that you, you are somehow, you are surrendered to the Lord. You haven't rejected him. Number one, would you write this down in your notes or if you have your smartphone, get your thumbs. Who's, who's ready to get their thumbs typing today? This is the world's longest point. Point number one, would you write this down? Blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, it's not a misspoken word. But it's a permanent rejection of the truth that Jesus is the Son of God. It's this permanent heart stance against this rejection that the Holy Spirit has revealed that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And just to worry about it, like this idea, have I committed this unpardonable sin? It's like it's showing that you have a heart that is in submission and hasn't rejected that which the Holy Spirit has revealed to you. To blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's, it's, it's living a lifestyle committed to rejecting the truth. A habitual lifestyle committed to rejecting the truth that the Holy Spirit has revealed that Jesus is the Son of God. Well, Jesus goes on to verse 33, and I think he uses one of the most simple analogies that we are able to dive into, and I, I love it because it's, for me, it's easy to understand. Let's look at verse 33. He makes this statement, he says, a tree 
is identified by its fruit. Would we agree with that this morning, right? I don't know how many of us, I have a lemon tree in my backyard, and I'll be honest, we still are hoping and praying it's a lemon tree, because we're going on like five years now. It's alive, it's growing, there, is, there are no lemons. I'm like, when is this dwarf lemon tree we got for, there, there has not been a, it hasn't produced a lemon, but I remember when I bought it, it had a tag on it that said it was a lemon tree, right? <laughs> don't buy your trees from Sam's Club. Right? That's probably the, the, the moral of the story, right? But Jesus makes this simple statement that he says, a tree is identified by its fruit. Here we go. If a tree is good, its fruit it will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. 34, you brood of snakes. Oh, man. How could evil men like you speak what is, speak about, speak what is good and right? And here we go. Would you underline this in your Bible? Would you circle it? For whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever is in your heart determines what you say. We could go home right there. That is like the gist of it, right? Whatever is in your heart determines what comes out. And this, folks, church, this is what makes our words so damaging, actually. This is what makes the things that we say so hurtful because in our culture, we, it seems like our culture is a little bit less forgiving. Like people can apologize and it still seems like people don't want to accept it, right? But we can apologize, but I think here's the root of it. We can apologize, apologize, apologize. You can make a statement to your kids or to your spouse or to your boss or anybody in your life that you have a relationship with. You can own it. That's a statement we like to say, like just own it. Right, take responsibility and own your stuff, right? And you can do that. You can say, honey, I didn't mean it. Sweetie, I didn't mean it. Baby, I didn't mean it. You can keep inserting anything to get back on that good side, right? I didn't mean it, I didn't mean it. But according to scripture and according to what Jesus says here, look at what he says, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. So a lot of times I see this in youth groups. I see this with our kids. I see this sometimes they're like, well, I didn't mean to say that. You ever seen that with your teens or with your kids or whether you, they didn't mean to say that. I didn't mean to make fun of that person. I didn't mean to say that. That's not really what I meant to say, but scripture would say otherwise. This is why the rebuilding process takes so long because the source of our speech is actually our heart. So we can say, you know what? I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean it. But the Bible, Jesus would say, you absolutely meant it. Because what came out is an overflow of what was there. Right? That statement, that hate, that whatever it was, that anger, you can't blame it on the blood pressure. That's what was inside of you, is what Jesus would say. And it's why rebuilding relationships takes so long after an implosion, because it takes seconds to bring down the Hacienda Hotel. But man, it took years and years to build up that Mandalay Bay where we used to go to church, Right? Wild, it's wild. Number two, would you write this down? Our spiritual heart pumps the contents of our choices, of our thoughts, of our feelings. You know, we each here have a physical heart and we're probably very well aware if we passed like freshman biology in high school of what the heart's job is, of what it was created to do. Our heart was created to pump blood, not to certain locations in our body, but all throughout our body, correct? 
Our heart was meant to send the, the life source, the blood, all throughout our body. And it's so interesting to me, those that are maybe in the medical field, doctors, nurses, right? You can go and, and uh, I don't like doing this, but they stick you, right? They stick you and they can take a little vial of blood. And that will tell the doctor so much about you. It will tell them all these different numbers. It'll tell them your cholesterol. It'll tell them all these different things just by taking a little sample of your DNA. Our blood carries nutrients all throughout the body. But you know what's interesting? And I've seen this with people sometimes that get sick, even in the church. Our blood can also carry contaminants throughout the body, Right? Think about what it's, it's why it's so, like things get really scary when someone gets an infection in their blood system. Things can go south really, really quick when that tends to happen. And it seems, I've seen that in people where it becomes difficult to treat, much longer to treat, because now instead of that, that infection being isolated, your blood has carried those contaminants all throughout the body. And the process of healing takes much, much longer. In similar fashion, we have a spiritual heart. You know that? Right? In the same way, in the same fashion, we have a spiritual heart that carries the content of what we are thinking. It, 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 our spiritual heart affects how we relate to people, how we feel, what we're thinking. It affects our decision makings. And Christ uses such a simple illustration, doesn't he? This fruit tree. I love it. This simple illustration of a tree this tree reveals the source of how you and I speak to each other. It reveals the source of what is going on in here. Verse 33. Would you jump back a little bit? I love this. A tree is identified by what? Its fruit. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit will be bad. You know, it's such a simple concept that we often ignore when dealing with people. It's such a simple concept that we often ignore when we deal with relationships because, man, it's so, and maybe this is the guy part of me just coming out, but isn't it so easy to get stuck on outward appearances? Isn't it so easy to get stuck on what we think looks healthy, what we think looks good, what we, like our idea of what success is, it's so easy to get stuck on that outer appearance of what looks good to the eye. But Jesus just says this, you don't have to look at the outer appearance, you just need to look at the fruit. He, he, right? A, if the tree is good, the fruit is good. B, if the tree is bad, the, tree, the, the fruit is bad. If the fruit is good, the tree is good. And if the fruit is bad... The tree is bad. Jesus is simply saying, the fruit of our words, it's revealing what's already there. You, you don't have to look at the outer appearance. It's revealing what's under the hood, right? I had some issues. I had some car work done, right? And anytime you see those indicator lights on your car, guess what? Like that car may look the same on the outside, but when you get one of those lights that goes off, it's telling you you need to address something on the inside of this vehicle, right? I want to read that verse one more time before I get to this next point. Read it with me, verse 33. A tree is identified by its fruit. If a tree is good, its fruit will be good. If a tree is bad, its fruit 
will be bad. See, oftentimes we just kind of like to play it in the middle like, oh, I just messed up. Oh, it just came out. Oh, it just slipped, right? That ridiculous joke you told your coworkers at work and now you got in trouble for because you crossed some line, right? It just came out. That, that dirty humor that you, that, you just constantly, that you constantly just think is so, so funny, right? Jesus would say, no, 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 you didn't actually mess up. That's not the excuse. Jesus would say, that's your heart. Like if, if your jokes are profane, Jesus wouldn't say, oh, no, no, that wasn't a mistake. That's you. That's me, right? I mean, that's, that's what this scripture is describing. If you're, if you're a, 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 a worshiper on Sundays and then you get to work tomorrow on the construction site and you just cuss and you curse like a sailor, a lot of times we're just like, oh, you know what, that's just, that's like, that's what I do on the job, man. That's what I do. Like, it's, it's like my job, it's, it's, it's really hard, man. It's like we're, we're surrounded by like deadliest catch captains. Right? On that show on Discovery Channel where everybody just beep, 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 and it just keeps going, right? And a lot of times, like that's that's kind of the, the story we like to tell ourselves, but Jesus would say, No, no, no. If you cuss at work like a sailor, G- sailor, Jesus would say, You have the heart of a sailor. That's who you are. He'd say, That's what's going on, that's what's overflowing, right? We try to constantly just kind of like, oh, it's it's not that big a deal, it's not that big a deal. If you constantly find yourself talking about others, right? And there's moments where I think we all catch ourselves, like, oh, what, what have we been talking about the last, let's change the subject, right? But if you find yourself habitually, ta- like the topic of conversation in your household or in your car or with your wife on the way home, where it's just like, you constantly find yourself telling the story of other people, right? That's a nice way of saying gossip, right? You didn't just make the mistake of gossip, Jesus would say, no, 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 you have the heart of a gossip, your heart is gossip, is what this scripture says. See, so often we just try to fix the mouth, but we don't really want to go to what the real problem is. The mouth is just a symptom of what's going on on the inside, right? The mouth is just, it's just a symptom of the root problem. And so often we don't want to address the root, we just want to address the mouth. Like, I can fix it myself. I can fix it. I'll, I'll fix it. And the reality, when we get into God's word, we understand we, we actually don't have the power to fix it. We're going to kind of close with that. This morning, we must address the heart because we cannot fix the mouth. And now, in truth, there's not one of us here that have gotten this right 100% of the time, right? None of us are scoring 100 on this test, baby, right? Jesus sets the curve, and that curve is perfect, and we don't hit there, right? Each of us have blown it. We can't sit here and be like, well, Pastor Joey, that's just too rough because... We know we, we have all, 100%, we have all fallen short. We've all caused damage with our lips. We will never be able to perfectly, to speak perfectly all the time. But I want to look at this next verse because this is what stands out to me as we get ready to close this morning. This next verse talks about a treasury. It talks about a storage space. Does anybody here store your Christmas tree in the garage or the attic? or a storage unit down the street? Does anybody here have like a, a, a junk closet? Raise your hand if you know where that place is, right? You have something you need to clean out? It's interesting, right, even as, as years go by, as, as even like in your family, right, maybe you're married to someone who likes to hang on to that 25-year-old spoon. Yeah? Some of us are like, yeah, and then you're the other person in the relationship where you're like, my goodness, can we please throw this out? We haven't used it in forever, right? It's interesting the stuff that we accumulate, the stuff that we collect, the stuff that we bring in 
Scripture would say the things that we store up. Like a storage unit, think of our heart like, like that attic, like that storage space, like that garage space. Verse 35, if you read it with me, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And like I said, we probably all have that spot, don't we, where we are storing up something. Maybe it's something to be used every winter. Maybe it's something to be used for a rainy day. Maybe it's large jackets that we will never get to use in Las Vegas, right? We are all storing something. But think of it like this. When that storage space gets too full, eventually it's going to overflow with what is there. Think about that for a moment, right? When that which we store in our heart When it gets too full, it's going to overflow with whatever it is we are putting in our spiritual heart. When that storage treasury of our heart, when our storage treasury of our heart gets too full of jealousy, when it gets too full of hate, when it gets too full of anger, when it gets too full of fear, when it gets too full of this emotion of missing out, when it gets too full of comparisons, When the storage of our heart gets too full of this emotion called insecurity, right? When we spend too much time believing what the world is selling and not understanding what Jesus is saying and the value he places on us, when the storage heart of, when the treasury of our heart gets too full of fear, anger, or hate, what is going to come out? Eventually, what is going to occur is those emotions, those raw feelings, That is what's going to come out. That's going to dictate. That's going to show people who you really are. Luke chapter 6, verse 45, it says this, A good man produces good out of the good storeroom of his heart. An evil man produces evil out of the evil storeroom, for his mouth speaks from the overflow of what? The heart. My goodness. We should have called this series Dynamite, Understanding the Power of the Heart. We don't need to understand the power of the tongue. We should have relabeled it, understanding the power of what's inside of us, our heart, where it's at. That should have been what we said because the heart produces the song that we sing. The heart produces the lyrics of the mouth. The heart produces what we're really all about. Verse 36, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. Think about that just for a moment. Uh, The first half is bad enough. (laughs) Judgment day, I think of Terminator 2, right? Some scary things popping up. Child of the 90s, that's what I think about, right? But he says, I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day. And he says, for every idle word. Think about that, like when we are stuck in traffic or we're just in park in a parking lot and you're just in idle you're just burning fuel with no destination in sight right you're just wasting fuel on the side of the road he says you're going to give an account for even the idle words the empty words the hateful words the lies verse 37 the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you This is a section of scripture, if I'm totally honest with you, I wish we could just rip it out of the Bible and pretend like it doesn't exist. Anybody feel me on that one? 
Certain, like I've said this before, I think in recent weeks, like there's some parts of the Bible that are difficult and like we can, like the human side of us, if we aren't being shaped and transformed and having our minds renewed by the Lord, there's certain parts of scripture that should scare us. And how, this is one of them. Does this one make, I know we got lunch coming up soon. Does this make you a little squeamish in your chair this morning? Right? It, sh- it makes me. That's the way I feel. I read it. I tell you this. Let's read it again. You must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. It doesn't say you're going to give an account for what your kids said. You're not going to give an account for what your husband said or your dad or your mom said to you. You're not going to give an account of what your wife said or what your boss said. You will give an account for every idle word you speak. Oh, man. And the words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. Number three, here we go, the scariest point of today. Write this down in your notes before we wrap this up. God remembers everything we say. Whoa. (laughs) God remembers everything we say. The Bible says that we will give an account for our words. Oh, we will give an account for our words. For Christians, this is also talking about the loss or even gain of heavenly rewards. We covered this a little bit in our, how many of you enjoyed our fall series on heaven, right? We had a section where we talked about rewards in heaven and the two types of judgment that are listed in the Bible, right? The great white throne judgment and then the judgment seat of Christ's judgment and how those look differently and what those are all about. But the Bible says we're going to give an account for our words, I love, there's something in me, it's a, it's a, it's a bad habit, but I'm, I'll work on it, you know. Is there anybody here you just love mafia movies? Some of us, right? Vegas kid in me, like I said, born and raised Vegas. Some of those, those like, those mafia movies, something about us where I think as a Christian, you know, the Bible says to turn the other cheek, and so you're going to practice this, but there's something in those movies that just make you dream about what you, you know, oh, maybe one day I could work this out, right? I'm teasing. That's just terrible. That's terrible. But I, I think of a movie like a Donnie Brasco type movie or a mob movie, but we, we think of it like this. God has spiritually put a wiretap on us. The Bible says God remembers everything you say. Every idle word you speak, we will give an account for, and they Our words will either acquit us or condemn us. Number three, God remembers it all. God remembers every word we will ever speak. God has put a wiretap on us. And I don't know about you, thinking of that like he has a record of everything we say. He has a record of everything we say. And there are these moments where we talk about rewards and we talk about heaven and if you're with us right if you'd remember that that great white throne judgment that's listed in the book of revelation it's describing that moment where we will appear before christ and he will either say welcome right or he will say depart from me i never knew you and in an instant we will be transformed and we will be in the presence of god or we will forever be separated from him right that's that moment i think sometimes i hear the word judgment and it scares me to death does anybody here hear the word judgment and you're like oh my gosh Right? There's, there's authority in a courtroom. Right? There's, there's authority behind that person in the robe when we see it. Well, there's also the judgment seat of Christ that we had spoke about in that, that heaven series. And I don't know if this is in, in you know, uh, the, 
the, the ancient the Greek language to English language, the Western civilization that we have grown up with. But I almost wish there was a different word used to describe this judgment seat of Christ. Because it's not, it's not as scary as I want to make it. The judgment seat of Christ is talking about this rewards type ceremony. The, the word that Paul uses to describe it is in, in the Old Testament, or in the New Testament, he's referring to this Bema reward stand. Much like the Olympic Games that we see right now. Anybody, anybody watch the Olympic Games? They're the winter games, so nobody ever pays attention to that. Especially when snowboarding ends, right? We're all like, what? I don't know, who, who, does, who does the winter games? So probably not the best example, but they did just wrap up, I think. But has anybody ever seen those, those winners on the medal stand? They've got the gold medal winner, the silver medal winner, right? The bronze winner. They all finished. They all did amazing. And you have some people that get no rewards, but it doesn't mean they're not an Olympic athlete. They competed. They were there, right? There's some honor in that. The Bible's very clear that when we get to heaven, this judgment seat of Christ moment, I think of it more like a party. It's going to be more like this celebration where God is going to determine the rewards we receive, but he's also going to determine the rewards we don't receive. I think it's very biblical to say that we actually won't all be equal in heaven because we won't all receive the same rewards, right? Rewards are gifts. Rewards are to be used. Rewards are our blessings, right? The Bible's clear, like we won't all receive the same rewards which reminds me as we close, like the power of our words. God, would you guard our hearts so that what comes out of our mouth is a blessing? What comes out of our mouth is used to build up, to give life, to speak life. I was thinking of this as we close this morning. What if you get to heaven and you discover that your words, your language, just the things that you say, you did a lot, Man, I served every Sunday, I cleaned toilets, I vacuumed, I straightened rows, whatever it is. God, I served you, but what if you get to heaven and you realize your words have cost you a whole bunch of rewards? Your words have cost you to miss out on a large portion of things. The Bible says God remembers every word. <laughs> the words that we mumble, right? The words that we say under our breath about our boss, the words that we say really loud with anger, the words that just have a sense of hate behind them, the words that I speak about that family member, God, God oh my goodness. When I think about this and I think about heaven and I think about the judgment seat of Christ, it makes me want to be very careful, it makes me not want to speak so negatively anymore. When eternal rewards are in the mix, it, it makes me want to slow down and go, you know what, God, when, you're, when your word declares that, God, help me be quick to listen a little bit more. God, help me be slower to speak. God, help me be slow to become angry. We almost should, should say it like this. We need to stop watching our mouth. We need to stop trying to control the tongue. And here's what Jesus would say. We need to start taking more inventory of the heart, right? We just want to fix the symptoms. Stop trying to, stop trying to fix the way you talk. Stop trying, to, stop trying to control the tongue and start taking issue of the heart. And the issue is, is when we aren't experiencing enough of God's word, when we aren't experiencing enough time with him, right? From the heart, it starts to overflow with whatever we're really about in that moment. And that is what comes out. What is going into the storage space of my heart? Because I'm constantly filling up my storage closet 
with blessings, right? If I'm constantly filling up my closet with praise for people, with life, right? When I get, when it overflows, that is just what is going to come pouring out. King David was the man in many cases. He wasn't perfect, right? What I love about him, he was like this worshiping warrior. He was this worshiping athlete. He was this musical giant killer, right? He writes this in Psalm 19, 14, our final scripture today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. David says that we need to meditate. This word meditate, it's, it's like exposure over and over and over and over again. Keep exposing yourself to God's word and over, to, over and over again to make it a part of each day, not one day. See, often it's been on my heart lately intentionally to just read a lot of scripture on Sunday because I believe, I was reading an article from Pastor Rick Warren and he talked about how much Bible literacy, people since the pandemic have stopped reading their Bible. And David says this, meditate on God's word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Each day allowing God's word to transform the heart. Meditating on God's word long enough that when we, we, we chew on it long enough, we just keep chewing on it every day. You start off your day. God's word allowing to meditate and take shape in our heart. We just subconsciously begin to live it out. Right? You don't have to tell yourself to take a breath. Right? When you want to move your left hand, you don't have to tell yourself if you're held, right? To tell your left hand to move. You just subconsciously do it. That's the way our mouth should begin to speak praise over people, praise over our kids, praise over our spouses. But it only happens when it's stored up in us. Because when it is stored up in us, it's only when we get so, so full that those blessings begin to pour out of our mouth. Can we bow our heads and let's pray this morning? Let's pray, church. Heavenly Father, God, it is so good to be in your house today. God, it is so good to be in your word today. God, we come today recognizing that we need to, yes, pay attention to our words, but Lord, we need to, more importantly, take inventory of what's going on in our heart. Lord, help us to meditate on your words. And the way we do that, God, is to spend time with you. God, I thank you for everybody. May we continue to grow. May we continue to invite. May we continue to say 11 o'clock is the most important part of my week, but it is not enough. God, help me to meditate on your words tomorrow and Tuesday as I face that challenge, that situation. God, that your scripture, your words will radically change the speech that we use. That we just reactively, subconsciously, we don't have to think about it, we just, we react with wisdom from your word. That God, when I speak, God shows up to the conversation because it's actually your words that you're speaking through me. God, let our lips speak like Christ in every way. God, give us lips that have the power to restore, the power to speak life, the power to renew, the power to, to move mountains. God, the, the power to build up, the power to give life to things that are just dead, dead situations. God, let our lips be like Christ in every way. I want to close with this prayer, with this scripture. And if you need to open your eyes, that's cool. But can we, if we learn it together, can we just constantly say this? What if we made it a point to put this on the screensaver of our phone? What if we made it a point to go old school and 
make a note and put it on the dashboard of our car. God, what if we made it a point to write down Psalm, Psalms 19:14? As we close this prayer time today, can we just can you say this with me? Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. What if we begin Thursday morning pulling into our workplace and we get out of the car and before we walk into that meeting, before we drive for that trip, before we do something on Wednesday? Can we say it one more time, church? Let's bow our heads. Let's close our eyes. May the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart, be acceptable to you. Lord, my rock, my redeemer. In the holy name of Jesus, all God's people say, amen. Amen. Can we applaud him? Can we praise him? Amen. Amen. Before you go this morning, we just want to uh, invite you. We are continuing on with this series, Dynamite, Understanding the Power of Our Tongue. And um, at this time, would you, just, would you just stand to your feet and tell someone, you know, it's really good to see you in church today. It's good to see your face. It's good to be with you. It's good to be in God's house. God bless you. We will see you next week. Thank you for joining us today. And a special thanks to those who give to Cornerstone. You know, it's because of you, our ministry, it's possible. Uh, You can click the link in the description to give now or visit us at cornerstonelv.com. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe. You can share it with friends, share it with family. Help us spread God's word. You can also join us live every Sunday. We invite you, 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. We stream service live. Thank you again for listening.